Good morning from Zurich. You're listening to Monocle on Sunday with me, Tyler Brulé. Coming up over the next 60 minutes, my guests today, Florian Egli, Urs Buller, and our very own Georgina Godwin are here, hopefully to share their views of the week's and weekend's biggest stories. Florian, you're here this morning. Uh, what's caught your eye today? We'll talk about the clean technology race that Biden has announced and how Macron wants to ensure European competitiveness, about the perils or benefits of sabbatical leave, and about Switzerland is going to tax couples in the future. So individual taxation is coming up. Very good. Also, we're going to be heading to Tokyo. Hello, this is Fiona Wilson, Monocle's Tokyo Bureau Chief in Tokyo. I'll be bringing you news from the Japanese capital. And we'll also speak to Nina Muller, CEO of Zurich's premium department store, Yelmoli. And there's, of course, much, much more ahead on today's program. It's our Christmas market here in Zurich. It's also the 4th of December, 2022. Live from Zurich, this is Monocle on Sunday. Live from Zurich, this is Monocle on Sunday with Tyler Brulé. And good morning from a somewhat cloudy, a little bit foggy. They're saying rain. It wasn't supposed to rain because uh, it is... Uh, Christmas market weekend, uh, but hopefully we're going to uh, have a rather dry day ahead, as this is a very special edition of the show. I'm very happy to say that uh, our Georgina Godwin, Georgina Godwin, uh, is here with the news headlines. Good morning. Good morning. Thanks very much, Tyler. Islamic State has claimed responsibility for an attack on Pakistan's embassy in the Afghan capital of Kabul. The group say two of its members carried out the attack, which targeted the Pakistani ambassador and left one of his guards wounded. Taliban authorities say the embassy compound was targeted by gunfire from a nearby building. Hundreds of people in Indonesia have been evacuated after a volcano eruption on Java Island. The Samaru volcano spewed a column of ash a kilometre and a half into the air early on Sunday local time. Japan's weather agency is monitoring for the possibility of a tsunami after the eruption. And the world's oldest land animal is celebrating its 190th birthday. Jonathan, the giant tortoise, lives on the South Atlantic island of St Helena. Officials on the island have made a series of commemorative stamps to mark the occasion. Thanks very much for that, uh, Georgie. Any uh, photo evidence of uh, Jonathan, the, the tortoise? Absolutely, and he looks every one of his 190 Does years, he? I have to say. No, <laughs> no great moisturising routine going on there. Very good. Georgina, day two for you uh, here at the Christmas market. It's a little bit of, I would say, a, a slowish start uh, this morning. Not all stall holders uh, are fully up and running yet. So if you're thinking of uh, coming down to the market this morning, uh, give everyone till about the bottom of the hour, till I think 10.30 will be in. It will be in full flow here. I would say so. And I think that's got quite a lot to do with the singing and the jolliness that you led here last night. Yeah, month, absolutely. Right? And there's gonna, that's going to be revisited as well. I'm, I'm happy uh, happy to say. Uh, Urs Buller is uh, here uh, from the, the NZZ. Haven't seen you forever. It sort of seems that you're always uh, of course uh, somewhere down in the Aeolian Islands. Have you just uh, recently returned again? Good morning, by the way. Good morning. Very nice to be back here, yes. Yes, I was on Stromboli again for weeks and enjoyed it very much. And uh, I have a second uh, flat now in Locarno in Ticino. So uh, I spend a lot of time in this wonderful region. Very warm, very nice. Very good. So a little uh, little bit of Tessine, a little bit of Zurich as well. Florian Egli is uh, also here. Of course, he's from uh, Forhaus. You gave us a whole like buffet of uh, stories uh, just, just now. We won't start with them all. <laughs> How are you? How are you easing into the uh, Christmas season? Um, yeah, slowly easing into Christmas season. I just had a chat with Georgina before I was at the wonderful concert last night. Um, so maybe my voice is also not as... What, what concert is this? Sorry, sh um, sh please share with us. Um, so that, that is a Swiss artist called Pablo Nouvel. 
Um, it's electronic music, um, three guys on stage, you have drums, you have keys, you have synthesizers, you know, very good to dance to, and, and it was it was great, a great kind of ambience. Yeah. Very good. Uh, and Georgina, as you said, uh, we there was, there was singing here last night, uh, of course, we wound up, um, well, around seven o'clock-ish, and where did, the, where did the evening take you in Zurich? So I went out with the wonderful Brenda, uh, and our producer Laura, uh, and off we went to Amalfi, which is a, a little local Italian, uh, which was all very jolly uh, and uh, we were all in bed by about 11 but pretty well oiled I'd say <laughs> but that's, that's, that's incredibly well behaved so just impressions because you've just come over from, from London uh, I mean as we know in, in the UK for commercial reasons I mean they put the lights up incredibly early um, and of course there's an official sort of you know uh, light kick off all of those things but impressions uh, jumping over to this and where it actually felt quite wintry yesterday it was properly cold uh, today's a little bit uh, warmer yeah I mean it was a completely different climate it felt from the UK it just suddenly we you felt like you were in Europe proper which of course you are and I mean just you know the, and the twinkling lights and the cold and the lake and it was just and this morning it's beautiful I mean it's kind of slate grey looking out over the lake and it just every where you pass has got little candles in the window and it just everything feels very warm and inviting. Urs, isn't that such a lovely picture she's uh, painting for for the listeners of how nice Zurich is when we're sort of complaining about this permanent cloudy lid uh, that descends on the city started about a month ago and I think we've still got another another two months to go. Actually is there a term for just this cloud that hangs over the lake? There must be a special Swiss German term for it. No there there isn't uh, like Hochnebel or something like that. I don't know. Florian, can you term, confirm this? Don't, don't don't you have some sort of da- damning damning it's, term? It's for just it? very factual in Switzerland, you know. So you just call it Hochnebel, which is like high fog. Um, but then we don't have a term for the the depression that comes with it, right? This feeling of like you're you're under this under this cloud of grey. But I love it how you describe the Georgina. So I should I should look out for the candles much more. I try to go up to the mountains all the time, but I should look out for the candles. Absolutely. And sort of speaking about mountains, uh, maybe we'll start with you, Florian. Uh, where's uh, where's Christmas going to take you because I don't think we're going to have you around the mics. Um, yeah, until uh, until we all break for the holidays. So where will you be for Christmas? I'll be here. I'll be in Zurich. Um, so it's going to be a local Christmas, and um, we decided to um, revive an old tra- um, tradition, which is to go out on the 25th. So the 25th falls on a Sunday, um, and you know you have kind of the remaining souls that stay in the city of Zurich. Um, so we'll go out on the 25th and then head up to the mountains for uh, for you know some extended time over New Year's. Yes. And Urs, uh, is it going to be Tessin? Uh, will you be Locar- is it Locarno Christmas, uh, or or do you stick around uh, this side of the Alps? Part, part, yes, yeah. Well, the twenty fourth, I will be stay in Zurich, and then we will move to uh, Locarno and enjoy it there. Uh, and just tell me, uh, Ticino Christmas. Uh, this is always sort of the fascinating thing in a very sort of contained country like Switzerland, where you can, of course, have French culture and, of course, uh, Swiss German culture, and then uh, Ticinese culture uh, as well. Uh, any uh, traditions that you've picked up yet? Uh, until now, not. It's very similar to Zurich. Well, that's because <laughs> yeah, yeah, there's an invasion of like yeah, people from here in Germany and course. elsewhere, right? Yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> and Ge- Georgina, what about you? Is I, that- I'm going to be in New York and in the Hamptons. Uh, so that's uh, something that I'm really looking forward to because I haven't travelled at Christmas for, for years. I prefer not to because it's so chaotic usually. But after lockdown and not having seen family for so long, that's where I'm heading. I'm going to be staying with my brother. That's provided he gets home safely from Ukraine, which is where he is at the moment. Okay, now tell us as well. I think people over the years heard uh, about your yurt that was in the garden. <laughs> is uh, is the yurt uh, making a return? 
the Yurt's not making a return in London because I won't be there, but I think I might try and make him put one up uh, in Sag Harbour. I think that might be quite a fun fun thing to do there. There is a tradition to throw in that, that connects to the Yurt's that, that is um, from the mountains where I'm usually heading to. Um, so these are old traditional villages um, with a lot of... Um, 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 you know, fountains like traditional fountains from from like springs, right? Um, and so, what they do over Christmas is they heat um, the central one up. So you can go like to the main square of the village, and you have a little spa there. So it's kind of like a public spa in the in the central fountain um, that you can chill, you can stand around, you can drink some mulled wine, and it's absolutely lovely. It's great. It sounds wonderful. They just tell us this is this is spring water, heated spring water. This is natural thermal water. This is this doesn't. No, no, no. no. I mean, it's natural spring water, but yeah. it's heated. You know. You put a heater in there. Yeah, well, do you think there's going to be a heater this year with all of sort of the scaremongering that we have uh, here about... I think we'll manage. I I think, we'll oh, manage. I, I was... There, there will be an exception, you know. Yeah, there was this, there was headlo- <laughs> there was headlines in Le Figaro this morning saying that uh, France is sort of standing by, that there's not... There may be a crisis, um, but there's not going to be any power cuts. And so despite all of these measures um, that they're talking about, uh, that uh, I think will remain toasty, I think, for the uh, the balance of the season. Um, speaking of the season, uh, our Fiona Wilson uh, is standing by in Tokyo, our bureau chief there. Uh, Fiona, good afternoon. Good afternoon. Hi. Hi. Um, I, I'm, I'm hope, I've got a picture in my head because uh, normally this time of year, Tokyo is, you know, it's the opposite of, of high fog. It's normally high pressure, super sunny skies uh, and, uh, and glorious and, and crisp. Do we have one of those days in Tokyo today? We do. It's been an absolutely incredible day in Tokyo. It's dark now. It's six, just after 6 p.m. here. But no, we had an amazingly sunny day. I was out in Yayogi Park walking the dog as usual. And some of the trees are the most incredible red at the moment. Um, I was being an absolute tourist photographing trees left, right and centre, but really one of those great uh, Tokyo days. Speaking of photographs, I've also seen uh, some pictures uh, that, uh, from some Danish friends uh, of ours uh, who look like they kidnapped your dog. <laughs> Do you know, I think sometimes my dog is, is, is more popular than I am. And it's funny, I think my dog has her own social life. Many people know me just simply as Hajime's mama. Um, and yeah, so yeah, we saw our Danish friends who've come over to uh, sort out Noma's uh, pop-up in Kyoto. And uh, yeah, I, I was I was walking the dog. I said, I'm sorry, I've got to bring my dog with me to our to our coffee. And they were very happy. Next thing, Hajime was sitting on Thomas's knee, quite the thing. Tell us, uh, I think uh, all foodie listeners are going to be quite intrigued with this. So tell us about Noma in uh, in Kyoto. Well, I mean, this is just an amazing, uh, you know, three month uh, pop up in Kyoto, um, March to May. They're closing Noma in Copenhagen and everyone, nearly 100 people coming over from Copenhagen with families, apparently. So there'll be a whole mini Danish community descending on Kyoto. And they're doing a three-month pop-up at the Ace. And amazingly, it sold out in minutes. It was like a sort of superstar musician had arrived. Sold out in minutes. And, you know, the price per head, I have to say, is a little bit eye-watering. It's 120,000 yen per head, which is about 800, more than 800 euros per head. And uh, they had, you know, no shortage of takers. So I think it's going to be quite an occasion. I, I didn't get a seat, I have to say. Well, maybe you wouldn't have uh, much, much trouble getting a seat. I, w- I would sort of hope that uh, Tokyo Bureau Chief uh, of Monocle might be able to, to swing something, but uh, or maybe through the course of the Danish friends that, that kidnapped uh, the dog. So this is this runs what we're talking till March then. It runs. It's March until May, actually. So it's roughly the middle of March. They've got there's a dedicated website, which if you go there now, you will hear how fantastic it will be, and then also discover it's completely sold out. But if you're 
very enthusiastic, you can go on the waiting list. Um, and it does sound rather tantalising. Well, uh, this sort of bridges, uh, of course, the the return of tourism, which I want to talk about um, in, in a second. But I'm wondering, you know, how many people within sort of well, the, not even just the the immediate neighborhood of Japan. Uh, so, of course, the, the keeners who would want to go from Taiwan, uh, certainly uh, from from Bangkok and elsewhere, will be flying in uh, to to Osaka or Tokyo to make their way to Kyoto, uh, versus what they're expecting in terms of just hardcore Japanese fans. Oh, I think there'll be masses of people from the region. I mean, you know, even in our neighborhood in Tokyo, as you know, we've got a lot of coffee places and they are mobbed at the moment. There are so many uh, visitors there. Quite difficult to get a seat outside some of our favorite places. And if you do get a seat, you're likely to be in the background of about 50 photographs because so many people are you know, descending on all these places, I guess they're Instagramming them. And, you know, we've had this lovely sunny weather. Yeah, I think my dog will be appearing in many Instagram posts as well. But no, really, I think there's so many foodies in this region. And uh, I no doubt that they're following like the Michelin starred places are all mobbed as well. So I think it's going to be a, a big sort of regional fest for, for Noma. Now, uh, from what you can determine, uh, these are tourists coming from where? Uh, they, 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 there's accents which might be French or the Americans, Aussies. Uh, and then, of course, you know, we, we know from our stretch there is, there's always been you know, a real sort of you know, uh, solid following, for Monocle anyway, lots of visitors from Thailand, lots from Malaysia, lots from Korea uh, as well. Yeah, I think in our region, I mean, our our office area, I would say massively, uh, you know, Koreans I'm noticing mostly at the moment. Um, and, you know, I'm hearing Chinese spoken. I, You know, I'm guessing people from Taiwan, from Hong Kong. Apparently, lots of people are, are, are filling the flights from Hong Kong. So, yeah, I think um, that that's in, in our neighborhood. But, you know, I'm hearing I was at the Okra this week, just went to get the, you know, the, the end of year sort of meet and greet for the media. And they were saying occupancy has just shot up since the borders opened in the middle of October. And they have to say they look very relieved. So they were announcing all their, their Christmas plans, but there are big smiles on all their faces. Now, Fiona, just to tell me uh, as well, the uh, there's some interesting news uh, by quite a big well, you could say a large player in the sanitary sanitary wear uh, business has now announced something uh, quite interesting in terms of um, not just uh, or, or the unveiling of a new HQ, but also the dynamics of also office space as well. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of talk about how office culture in Japan is changing. You know, the sort of traditional office is not the best place to be in Tokyo, generally quite cramped, quite old school. You know, they, they have done away with smoking in most offices, although you still get some sort of fairly unfortunate kind of smoking cubicles that, that seep out, smoke seeps out of those. But Lixil, which is an absolutely huge player in, in, in the bathroom industry, you know, they own American Standard, you know, Inax Grower, they have uh, just moved their global HQ in Tokyo. They've done away with these old style offices. They've opened a brand new office, which is sort of like, a, it looks a bit like a big aircraft hangar to me, very open plan. And what they've said is that at the moment, you know, there are seats for 500 in this office, but they said basically 8% of their headquarter staff are now going in regularly. That's that's very, very few. So they've decided, let's just change what the office is. It's not a place where people go in, they have their desk, you know, they've got their photographs, their family, all that, done away with all that. It's a lot of tables and chairs. It's a place where people just go to meet their colleagues. They don't even spend the whole day. Um, and, and it's just an absolute revolution. And I have to say, Japan would be the, the last place you would have expected this to happen. No, it's, 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 it's remarkable, but I'm wondering how much of it is as, as you know, Japan has also been very sort of, you know, quick to, yeah, 
I would say, seize upon sort of, you know, very various like new styles of, of initiatives. Of course, we can think back to cool biz, uh, that the whole idea, uh, of, of course, of, of keeping, um, yeah, or sort of, let's say, uh, dressing less warm uh, in summertime uh, and, and, and all of these things that sort of you know, would swirl around the office place, but oftentimes not much would really change. Uh, you know, space is still always sort of felt incredibly overheated, uh, no, matter, no matter what time of year you were there. So how much of this is a little bit of new thinking, maybe bringing in the right type of consultants or the wrong type of consultants from somewhere else uh, in the world, uh, and then this sort of goes by the wayside, or, or do you think this will stick? Yeah, it's interesting. I don't think many companies could do that. What what Lixel is doing? I mean, I think they've just observed over the last three, nearly three years now, just such a massive change in work culture. But I mean, I know what you mean. You can't just put in a few ping pong tables and hope that suddenly everyone's kind of lounging on sofas and coming up with brilliant ideas. I don't think it will seep through to every kind of sector. But I, I you know, I noticed that Mercari, which is a huge force here, it's I mean, they always call it a flea market app. It's it's a kind of eBay for Japan. They've done the same thing. Their headquarters now has got these enormous great tables. And they said that only 10% of their w- workforce is now coming into the office regularly. So I think there are certain kinds of companies. I mean, interesting that Lixil is promoting this, really forging ahead uh, with this working from home and, and just sort of rethinking what the office is. But I mean, you know, if you go to Kasumi Gaseki, uh, it's business as usual. Don't worry, everyone's still kind of sitting behind towers of paper files. Um, so it, it's <laughs> it's not across the board, but but. But interesting uh, changes. Um, Florian, I want to bring you in here because, uh, you know, Fiona mentioned, uh, of course, offices with ping pong tables, people sitting on sofas coming up with brilliant ideas. It sounds like four hours to me. Uh, but you also talk- <laughs> We've started long ago. Yeah, no, absolutely. Tables, I, I, I'm, I'm sure you, you were pioneers uh, with that. But tell me, uh, you also had a little story about uh, sabbaticals. And I wonder if this uh, somehow dovetails into a new way of working as well. Yeah, I'm always a bit um, conflicted in this. You know, is how much is, is actually increasing freedom and people, you know, have, I mean, t- appreciate this and can work from where they where they want and are more more efficient and effective and how much is basically just cutting down cost right because if you don't have to provide office space of course um, that's a huge cost saver um, you know on perhaps not similarly um, because sabbaticals um, don't actually save costs but but um, there is an article in the FT um, on, on the, over the weekend over sabbatical leave which in the US of course is something um, a bit crazy so about 5% of companies apparently offer sabbatical leave paid sabbatical leave that is and it's an it's a funny story because it outlines um, um, how this this one guy George um, El Hadray he's called um, he used to be the co-head of investment banking at HSBC took a six months leave um, learned a bit of Mandarin it says I don't know what that means and then came back and was um, promoted to chief financial officer of HSBC and everybody in the in the city is apparently just very confused that this works you know that you can take time off and then afterwards you get promoted and then the story go on goes on to to name some others amongst them um, um, Joe Nespo the famous Norwegian crime writer um, who apparently Apparently, he was working in finance as well and had the idea for his, his crime stories on a long-haul flight from London to Sydney, um, which also then um, led him to take a sabbatical leave and developed a story and then became a famous uh, writer. So, um, you know, there, there's all kind of examples how sabbatical leaves actually um, are, are valuable to the people. And the, the article interestingly talks about um, whether it's increasing loyalty or not, right? Are people then just running off afterwards and doing their own projects or are they coming back with these ideas? And I think that's something that companies 
and actually also for us um, has to have to grapple with because you offer people freedom, personal development, and they come back with ideas. But will they just you know run off and found their own startup afterwards? You know, it might be good for society, but perhaps not for the company offering sabbatical leave. Uh, Fiona, the, the, the sabbatical uh, as a concept after a decade of service uh, in, in a Japanese company is it is it a bit of a thing? I mean unsurprisingly not um i think you know that that's a really interesting one because as we know you know japan say has amazing uh, allowances say for paternity leave but people just don't take it it's very difficult to take a, a long period away from your your office people think you're inconveniencing others so that is where a big cultural shift would have to happen i think the idea of a sabbatical would be would be considered very destabilizing in an office i'm all for it obviously but um yeah i think that that's not caught on in japan no uh, Georgina, you're speaking to authors all the time, so it's just interesting, uh, Florian referencing uh, Joe Nesbo and, uh, and you know, obviously thinking up his, his themes for his books uh, and sort of the empire he's created. A lot of authors that you speak to as well have come from a corporate world and maybe used a little bit of uh, time off uh, to yeah, crank out the first three chapters. Absolutely. Uh, absolutely. That's definitely the way that it happens a lot. And I know for a fact that you might be planning the same thing. Yeah, well, I just need to have the sabbatical. That's, 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 <laughs> so if I could sort of like maybe yeah, get someone to carve out some time or, uh, or, or maybe sort of, you know, uh, Take uh, take the tiller, um, then uh, then let's let's see. But I mean, it often actually is thriller writers. I find um, so they're, they're often sort of ex policemen who've come in that way, or they're people working in tech who who just actually can sort of take that time off and and and, uh, and, and write a book. But I would just caution. I mean, they, they do say everybody's got a book in them. I think in some cases that's exactly where it should stay. It should stay. <laughs> yeah, or, or um, yeah, time on train down to uh, to Locarno, but maybe more also just sort of being in Stromboli uh, have uh, if you can disclose have you been working on uh, a book uh, any sort of you know great projects on the go at the moment uh, no no not not right now but but I'm very convinced that sabbaticals are very important uh, uh, just to fresh up your mind a little bit uh, not to mention your tan uh, of course <laughs> and, improve, <laughs> and improve your tennis game as well <laughs> that's right that's very right yes uh, Fiona just uh, before we go there's uh, just one other thing you touched on which goes back to the to the topic of um, of tourism uh, as well which is an announcement by the Dorchester group um, so they are also venturing and it feels like Tokyo will be the like the city with the most complete collection of um, of global names now which you know it was once upon a time the case of course we've had you know many new major brands launching but um, it, it doesn't seem like there's going to be any brands missing in uh, at the, in the five-star category in Tokyo. No, you're absolutely right. The Dorchester is opening. I mean, this touches on the office subject as well. It's opening in a an absolutely epic tower that is uh, being built um, right next to Tokyo Station. It's going to be an absolute monster tower. It will be the tallest building in Japan. Um, uh, due to open in 2028 and the Dorchester is going in there. It's going in there. It's sort of the 53rd to the 58th floor or something. So it will be a, a, a small chunk, um, you know, and they're, Mitsubishi is behind that and they're announcing it. Will, you know, the rooms will be among the most expensive in Tokyo. I'm sure they're right. But it's interesting, isn't it? You know, that this, this, as you say, you feel like every luxury brand has arrived. Who else can come? And then you think, oh, yeah, right. The Dorchester can come, too. But, I, you know, I think it's a sign that there's an appetite for this uh, luxury market. Um, now, whether the, uh, the this tower, this torch Tokyo tower can fill the office space um, with all these companies shrinking into one big open plan office is another matter.
And just before we go, I mean, obviously, there's it, we've had um, you know, many writing off Hong Kong. We've seen this sort of great relocation going on when it comes to regional offices. A lot of people looking to Seoul uh, at the moment. Some people saying, yeah, you know, maybe we'll see what happens. But sort of operating in a Chinese context is important. So maybe they should be in, uh, in, in Taipei. Obviously, Singapore continues to steam ahead. I have been speaking to people, though, uh, recently who have been saying don't write Hong Kong off just yet, uh, that uh, that maybe now that things are loosening, uh, there is this sort of sense that there is going to be investment uh, and, and maybe we will see Hong Kong bounce back, maybe not as like the Hong Kong we knew of, of three years ago. But what is your what is your sense as well you know, when you think about these big towers going up? You know, Can they maybe rely also on new regional offices going in? Are they maybe betting a little bit that uh, that people you know, are going to be leaving Shanghai, for example, uh, because you know, I think it's going to be rather difficult to get a lot of people to to go back to China, certainly people who've been working from you know, Western companies to say, hmm, sort of looking at what's happened in China over the last three years, is this a place that I want to sign a contract for for the next five? Yeah, I think that's so true. I think getting people, oh, it's impossible to get them into China right now. But I mean, in the future, are you going to get them? Do, do they want to go? And I think the answer is no, they probably don't right now. But I mean, I'm noticing here, you know, people have pretty short memories. And, and once, you know, we were all thinking, oh, how are going to people feel about tourists coming back? And, you know, suddenly you're back in the swing of it as if, you know, the last three years hadn't happened. And it's it's almost like we hit pause in 2019. And here we are, um, you know, fast forward. And I, you know, I, I think that will, will also happen, definitely will happen with Hong Kong, you know, people still very keen to go back to Hong Kong. I think that's true. And, you know, already we're seeing this travel around the region where we can. And, you know, I, th- I think it will pick up. And there's just no question for Japan that China's really, really important economically. But I do think that Tokyo is trying to seize the moment and say that, Tokyo could be a regional hub, um, you know, in a way that, that Shanghai has been and, and Hong Kong. And it is sort of saying, OK, we've got the office space. Come here. Just before we go, uh, we should probably end the bottom of the hour. We have to touch on, of course, the final 16 of the World Cup. Uh, and uh, we're, of course, we can. Uh, yes, we've got uh, England. Uh, of course, we've got. Uh, we have Switzerland uh, and uh, and we have Japan uh, as well, uh, just sort of keeping it in, in the immediate uh, family. Uh, Urs, Florian, were you part of uh, the, the festivities uh, when, uh, when Switzerland uh, squeaked through the other evening? Very much, yes. Yes, I enjoyed it very much. It was a fascinating match and uh, it was like uh, the, the old times, <laughs> like uh, four years ago, eight years ago, yes. I'm and that, I mean, it was incredible here, Fiona, to, a little bit in the same way for Japan as well, just to the, the explosion that, uh, that happened on, on Langstrasse, which is normally, yeah, a bit of a focal point uh, for festivities uh, in, in, in the evening. Uh, Florian, uh, for you, uh, were you sort of out there uh, amongst that amongst that? crowd I was out there I have to admit I missed the match though I was I was actually um, um, I was at the Human Rights Film Festival which um, you know I pre-booked tickets um, so we went there it was a we saw a great film so if anybody wants to uh, watch Casablanca beats I can highly recommend it um, it's a it's a movie about kind of a group of of youngsters um, doing hip-hop in Casablanca but anyways going back to the subject um, I was at Langstrasse afterwards um, for the festivities and the interesting thing is there is this this catch to this game right it was Switzerland against Serbia and a lot of the the, the, the key
key Swiss players are from Kosovo, which of course is in a constant conflict with Serbia. Um, so a lot of the celebrations at Langstrasse were actually about Albania, right? So it wasn't so much, I mean, you saw Swiss flags, but you saw huge Albanian flags because it's this conflict around, you know, the Albanians in Kosovo and, and their strive for independence from Serbia. And now these players actually were at the heart of the Swiss team that beat Serbia. So there is a whole like political context that, that, that kind of waved into this. And, and I think that was that was what I really took from it. It was almost more of an Albanian celebration than a Swiss. Um, of course, there were plenty of Swiss people and plenty of Swiss flags too. But um, it was a big it was a big party until very very early in the morning. Uh, keeping it in the Balkans as well, because Fiona, we have uh, Japan facing off uh, against Croatia. So what uh, what is the feeling uh, in in Tokyo? A, a sense of uh, sparkiness and, and, and bullishness. Of course, we saw, again, this, you know, this extraordinary scenes from Shibuya Crossing the other day uh, when Japan made it through. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, you have to remember that match was at four in the morning. So um, <laughs> slightly, I mean, there were mad celebrations that I saw on television when I woke up. But I have to say, I didn't stay up for the match. And I think that's the general feeling. I absolutely love football. But I think most people thought, oh, no, we don't need to see Japan being thrashed by Spain. And the, the low expectations, it's fascinating. People have very low expectations here and are pleasantly surprised every time Japan seems to do well. So I think the fact that they've gone through now, fantastic. Even Kishida, the prime minister, was tweeting about it. Um, I think against Croatia, they're a bit relieved they're not playing Brazil, which was, I think, on the cards at one point. So they feel they've got a better chance against Croatia. But I have to say, always quite measured here. I think people will be absolutely thrilled if they do. But, you know, already I'm hearing about the number of defenders who are injured and, you know, the, the excuses are coming in uh, early. So we'll see. But I, I will be watching. Typically, Japan. Uh, Urs, how are you feeling about uh, Switzerland's prospects? I believe we're up against Portugal. Yes, we have. They always say a 50-50 chance right now. I think it's 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 60-40 for, for Switzerland. For Switzerland, and what what? Yeah. You, uh, I mean, I don't know. You're taking a step back, but why are you feeling uh, so positive? But Ronaldo is not on his top, I guess. Uh, so uh, the Swiss players are in the flow now. I'm absolutely convinced that they will beat Portugal 2-0. Okay. okay, listeners, you heard it here first. Fiona Wilson in Tokyo. Fiona, I'm going to, I was just saying it's going to be two, two weeks from today. Um, I'm, I'm on a train down to the Izu Peninsula, very much looking forward uh, to making my way uh, down to, to the Asaba and, and elsewhere. And, uh, the, and the, weather, the weather forecast, of course, looks amazing, I hope, for the next two weeks. Yeah, it should be fantastic. Yeah, and we've got our party on the 16th, so Christmas uh, starts then, I think. Indeed we do, yes. So listeners, if anyone is uh, in and around uh, Tommy Gaia uh, on the 16th, uh, this should uh, that'll be sort of the final chapter, I think, of Monocle's uh, World Christmas Tour. Fiona Wilson uh, in Tokyo. Have a good weekend. Very happy to say, though, Georgina Godwin is here with the news headlines. Thanks, Tyler. Afghan nationals who were promised resettlement to the UK nearly a year ago are still waiting for a response from the British government. The scheme was meant to help Afghans who worked for the UK government, but none have been accepted or evacuated from Afghanistan under the resettlement scheme. Campaigners warn they face torture and death while they wait. 
Iranian authorities say they will review a decades-old law that requires women to cover their heads. The country has now had more than two months of protests linked to the dress code. The unrest started after the death in custody of Masa Amini in September. And a mac and cheese manufacturer is being sued for $5 million over claims its ready-in-three-and-a-half-minutes label is slightly inaccurate. A new lawsuit alleges that the time advertised on Velveeta's microwavable mac and cheese doesn't account for the time needed to open the packaging or stir the product, amongst other things. Georgina Godwin, thanks very much. Florian, you were nodding in the background, uh, maybe sort of time spent in the States or, uh, or maybe sort of combing the aisles of grocery stores and buying your Velveeta mac and cheese. Yeah, and also just a contrast from um, what people in Iran worry about and what people in the U.S. worry about, right? Um, so, yeah, it's just, I mean, these U.S. lawsuits always uh, put a smile on my face because from a European perspective, it's just so ridiculous. I always think of it when I when I go, you know, also, again, in the mountains, like to some venues, like some scenic venues that are not like completely fenced off mm. with 700 warning signs because, you know, people take their own responsibility to some extent. And I think that's, that's good. And also, it's more difficult to sue everybody afterwards. Um, yeah, well, we often have talked about sort of the, the, the collapse of, of common sense yeah. and also just, yeah, the power of, of litigation uh, in the US and uh, people will sort of sue your pants off for, for anything. Uh, we, we can talk about that in a retail context in a moment when, uh, when Nina Muller joins us. But Georgina, it sounds like just going back, you're very excited about, it sounds like Christmas in the Hamptons and, and Christmas uh, in, in the US uh, is, is putting a bit of a smile on your face. It really is. You know, I, I don't uh, generally travel unless I'm working. Uh, and this will be the first time I've taken a trip in, in years where I haven't actually had to do anything. So I'm really hoping, actually, Tyler, that perhaps I, I can pick up a few interviews for Monica while I see, I'm there. Oh, that's what I was going to say. See, yeah, so, <laughs> I so do want to work. You, you do want a working gig while you're, while you're out there. So, okay. If, um, if you have, or if, yeah, you, you must have a wish list. If you could think about you know, a series of three writers or, or bookstore owners who you would want to have on Meet the Writers who probably spend time in the Hamptons or are in and around New York, who would they be, Georgina? Well, so, so many of them do, actually. And, and sadly, the one that I really want is dead. <laughs> I would have loved to have interviewed Nora Ephron, uh, who, as well as being a wonderful novelist, uh, wrote such films as When Harry Met Sally and You Got Mail and things like that. I just think she was absolutely extraordinary. Margaret Atwood, of course, of The, the Handmaid's Tale is, is just amazing. Uh, and so many wonderful writers living and working ar- around New York. Uh, Dave Eggers of course is a fabulous writer. He at the moment is, uh, I've mentioned Ukraine earlier, uh, he's in Ukraine at the moment. There is a, a big delegation of American writers who've gone there and they've just released a report on how uh, U- Ukraine's culture is being uh, eroded by Russia, how Russia is just simply trying to crush out that culture. And so these, these prominent US writers have gone there just to really put their stamp on it and show that, that, that America and American writers uh, and American writers of some heft are listening and are watching this very, very carefully. And uh, just when you um, head over to to the States, uh, I think I know the answer uh, as well. Favourite bookshops? I mean, of course, you have access. You get everything from all over the world sent to you as someone who is, uh, of course, reviewing books and hosting a programme and obviously moderating uh, many talks uh, as well. Does that sort of take the joy, especially at this time of year when you think about, obviously, yeah, what's going to go in people's stockings, uh, hopefully uh, a few printed words, uh, or... Yeah, do you like that that bookstore experience still, or, or is it somehow removed uh, because you're so into the thick of it every day? Uh, it's well, it does mean that my Christmas shopping is quite cheap. <laughs> 
because I get given so many books. Um, but there is just something about a bookshop. I mean, you, you, however many books you've got at home, and I'll go into a bookshop and think, this is ridiculous, I'm not going to buy anything. I have half of these books at home. I'm never going to read them. I don't have time for it. Always come out with something. Uh, and of course, being in New York, there's Strand Bookshop, which I long to, to visit again. And uh, I just did a, a wonderful interview for, for a festival with the uh, owner of City Lights in, uh, in San Francisco. And that is just such an amazing shop, as is Shakespeare and Company, of course, in Paris. Um, well, someone who loves the concept of always come out with something, certainly come out of her store with something, uh, is, is Nina Muller, who's the uh, the CEO of Yelmole uh, Department Store uh, here uh, in Zurich. Uh, of course, friend of the friend of the family. Uh, great that you could leave the shop floor uh, on what is going to be one of the busiest shopping Sundays, hopefully uh, in in Switzerland in 2022. Uh, guten Morgen, good morning. Good morning, Tyler. Nice to be here. Yeah, no, the store is opening in half an hour, so I, I have some. Time with you, and then I uh, head to the store, and uh, we'll be helping in the food market. Okay, because we are indeed expecting a, a very strong day, and hopefully lots of customers. <laughs> uh, so tell us, uh, you know, when you think about programming uh, a store, uh, given, of course, it wasn't quite normal trading a year ago. Short stores were open, everything, and it was, you know, there was a general sense of a of bounce back. But one year later, if you think about it, you know, you know we had, of course, the boom in e-commerce, uh, and everyone sort of talking about the power of e-com. Right now, we hear that you know e-com has flattened out because stores have reopened. Uh, and so, what, what does that mean for you in terms of opportunities, but I guess also challenges um, as well? Yeah, I tend to look at the opportunities uh, and and uh, and face the challenges. And uh, I think it is, although it is quite difficult, uh, the ups and downs and the, the different changes that we all were facing in retail. Um, you you see opportunities, and and you have also something that. Uh, a new dynamic that is actually coming up. So we, in Yelmoli, we, if I look back in the last year and our, also what is happening now, we have a lot of partners and new friends that are coming into the store. So we are uh, constantly looking for uh, things to, uh, or ways to, to, to really, um, how to say, um, uh, sort of activate and activating the, activating the customer so for example at the moment we've got uh, a pop-up for super mountain market from from St. Moritz uh, which is a very beauty beautiful uh, collaboration that started with a conversation between the two of us one and a half years ago and uh, we met each other and uh, suddenly St. Moritz joined in and we have this really nice partnership in our in our bar in the men's department and uh, if you look at things like this and 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 try to think out of the box i think you managed to fill a department store with a lot of cool ideas that bring people into the store and this is what is very where i'm very pleased with we actually apart from a, a little slow down in in october we were back on the traffic uh, to the store uh, at the levels of 2019 so that is a good sign and uh, since lucy lightning and this is the christmas lightning in in zurich has happened in last thursday uh, i'm very happy to, i've really got the feeling that people feel christmas uh, they are out in the streets, they drink their glue wines and they come into Yelmoli and chop. That is good. Yeah, <laughs> good, fuel, good. Fueled by a bit of glue vine yes, uh, that always as helps. well. <laughs> but tell me, it, it's interesting when you, just going back to Super Mountain Market, so 
listeners if you're not familiar with it, but we've been covering it in the magazine. And this is yeah, uh, some gentlemen uh, up in the Engadine in St. Moritz who've really, they, I guess, Nina, you could say they're sort of trying to capture the not just the alpine spirit, but they're trying to bring and, and uncover interesting maybe forgotten brands, new brands that can be from Austria, they can be from Switzerland, they can be from Germany, northern Italy, but having this sort of Mitteleuropa alpine feel, uh, and that's what they were delivering in the village of Samaritz. They've now brought it to the department store. And what's interesting, there's just, there's so many interesting new labels that maybe a traditional buying team would never find. Uh, And so suddenly you're working with partners who are able to bring those into the mix I'm wondering, does the customer, do you think the customer is looking for discovery or does a customer look for also reassurance that they want, oh, I recognize that brand, so that's why I want to go there, as opposed to going, wow, I went into a store, never saw that, but how amazing that they were able to introduce me to something I didn't know before. I think uh, there is everything everything else out there. You have customers that really they come in for your your our competence that we have uh, in terms of consulting, say our sales consultants, our brands, established brands, um, and they need that sh- reassurance and they feel they, they they feel taken care of. But there are more and more customers, and that is a bit the way I look at the business, that they want to uh, explore things that are different, things that you don't find everywhere, and are. Rep- everywhere and especially if you manage to bring brands and or, or partners from a different context into the store that leads to uh, that leads to excitement and uh, for example talking about the the St. Moritz and, and Super Mountain Mar- Mar- supermarket mountain in our uh, store this is extended to a collaboration with the uh, Gasthof Steinbock in from Engadin, and they are, have taken over our Sopra at the moment. They are serving uh, their favorite dishes there. So this is it becomes a whole new dynamic, and people at different levels they they explore that. And uh, we just opened Caminada pop up yesterday, not not a pop up, but Caminada specialty store in our food market. That's also something. It's a long term uh, partnership between us, and uh, and uh, the the reactions are super positive, and it's. Uh, quite close to the Monaco kiosk. That's good. That's good to hear. <laughs> now, tell us: is is the, uh, from a CEO's perspective, is it also your desire that you hope that some of these things then stick? Okay, so Super Mountain Market said it's a pop-up at least, but hopefully then some of those labels then remain, or you work with Steinbach, and hopefully some of those dishes stay on the menu, uh, and and that there's yeah, there's there's somehow a bit of a legacy left every time you have these things, rather than just popping in and literally popping out again. Absolutely. What we don't want to do is just to uh, bring in uh, people or brands, put the label on our front and then let them go again. I think we are very open to to experiment, to, to welcome new brands. Uh, and out of these uh, out of these collaborations, hopefully new things uh, evolve or develop further. We, we experiment a lot. We experimented with the pre-loved products and it is a huge success with Reawake. Uh, we started a bit, little bit slower on the rent side but also there uh, the rental business is is increasing and I think uh, we as a department so we have to be open to uh, do new things and not always to expect the immediate return but to also be then take uh, take the fruits in the in the in the in in the future to 
to from new collaboration. It, it's interesting you mentioned reawaken just uh, the, the idea of, of pre-loved garments because this is the first uh, year that we've had uh, yeah a vintage clothing dealer here and they had an absolutely uh, remarkable uh, day in late breaking news my COO is telling me that there's a, re a remarkable vest uh, that uh, was absolutely stunning belongs on a ski slope but it belongs on someone who's a size zero uh, but she was just telling me right now that that it sold but um, from, from your perspective again this is something that uh, yeah whether it's sort of pre-love vintage whatever you want to call it uh, again something that uh, becomes part of it and I guess the second part is you know I think our listeners are probably thinking okay where, where do things go right now because everyone is always as as you are on the sharp end of it everyone's always talking about the decline of the departments or the death of the department store and yet you go into a lot of department stores and they're absolutely packed um, and uh, and the department store still seems to be quite resilient so also looking to 23 what's happening in store uh, what do you think the customer uh, is 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 looking for um, and and what little tricks do you have up your sleeve at uh, Yelmoli that you can discuss anyway that will be happening <laughs> I hope you have enough tricks uh, for, to have a successful to finish this Christmas very successfully and then have uh, 2000 our main topics that we are following is our local partnerships, we continue on that. Uh, the topic sustainability is a topic, sustainability means we need to think about uh, how we consume, so different ways, it's when the rent uh, and the repair and, the, and, the, and, and these topics come in that we definitely can expand on. Um, we start the year off with a, with a V January with a, a bit of a detox for those who want and for those who don't want they can still indulge <laughs> in in many good things and uh, and then one big thing for next year and I nearly forgot it it's 190 years of birthday uh, Yelmoli is celebrating 190 years so on the 2nd November 2023 it's 190 we have already started with a lot of our partners to develop one-off uh, collections. We're thinking about how to celebrate, uh, what what party, if a party, how big it is. So very uh, big, we are very obviously. <laughs> 190 years. I mean, it can't just be 190 be, guests. It has to be big celebrations. Yes. Excellent. Uh, Nina, we're going to let you uh, get back to the store, get to the store uh, anyway, because uh, there's uh, much, uh, I'm sure, to be sold and delivered uh, today. Nina Miller, CEO of Yelmoli here in Zurich. We're going away for a short break. It's just 10:45 uh, uh, here in Zurich, and we're back right after this. Enhance the year to come and treat yourself or someone special with a Monocle subscription this festive season. Monocle offers something that you won't find elsewhere, a truly international perspective and unrivaled insights into business, culture, design and more. A present that lasts all year, bringing big ideas, stories of opportunity and plenty of optimism direct to your door. When you subscribe, you'll get a 10% discount in our shops and online, and of course, a free limited edition tote bag. As well as 10 issues of the magazine, you'll receive our annual specials and access to our exclusive digital travel guides. To round out our 15th anniversary year, for a limited time only, there's 15% off with code RADIO15.
You're back with Monocle on Sunday with me, Tyler Belay. Also, Georgina Godwin is here in Zurich uh, today as well, is going to be looking after you, uh, you listeners, that is, across the rest of the day uh, from our studios uh, here at Dufourstrasse. Uh, also, we have uh, Urs Bullers here uh, from the Neue Zürcher Zeitung, NZZ, and also Florian Egli uh, from Voraus, uh, that think tank full of ping pong tables and, uh, and, and comfy sofas. Uh, Florian, uh, I was putting uh, Nina on the spot a little bit earlier, saying uh, obviously topics that are important from a retail perspective. Uh, you're a think tank, obviously operating in an international and, and political space. Uh, yeah, I mean, again, we don't want to, uh, you know, there's obviously topics, etc., that uh, you're probably trying to, to offer up to clients, etc. But if you sort of uh, look at the menu of what is on offer and what is, of course, keeping uh, all of your bright minds occupied, what are your uh, key topics when you look to 2023 right now? So we're actually we're actually going to publish a book for the first time. So maybe we can have an English translation. Um, let's see, because it's in it's in German and French, and it's basically a collection um, of it's going to be roughly 25 key foreign policy issues, like two three pages each, um, where one of the experts from our network basically writes about. And rather than offering a comprehensive analysis, basically outlines what are the key challenges, because a lot of the geopolitics um, that we used to, you know, even five years. Um, ago are not are not the way they, they used to be anymore, right? You can talk about energy, which is the big topic at the moment, of course, um, but many other things, in, including you know soft diplomacy that Switzerland is proud of, um, business relations, you know, free trade agreements. Um, what do we do if we're kind of excluded from large economic zones like the European Union? All of these topics that we'll have um, two or three pages on, and we'll basically what we're trying to do is outlining the key questions and I feel at least for 2023 um, what we're trying to do is less you know of this here is the forecast of what's going to happen but more of actually gathering the right people around the table and asking the right questions and actually outlining these questions very kind of transparently and saying okay what is your approach to this and how like what do you need basically to to grapple with that and I feel at least um, for next year that that it's, it's going to be, you know, uncertainty is one of the key kind of underlying drivers, um, um, be it in, in business or in geopolitics, I believe. And therefore, it's I my feeling is we're less there is less demand for, you know, some sort of fancy forecasting or fancy kind of prognosis. But there is more demand of actually asking the right questions and bringing the, the people together to discuss how they they jointly approach these. So that's that's the that's the way we're. Um, we're taking for the next year and let's see if it's successful. Georgina, I feel that like he was um, sort of looking at you, Florian, that is, uh, maybe thinking that, that you could help with the, the English language rewrite <laughs> of, of this foreign Some policy tome, right? Good, yes. once, once somebody else had translated it. Well, maybe, well, Urs, maybe you've got a bit, maybe you'll have a bit of time so you can work on the English language translation, then Georgina, you can polish it up. And, and we'll, then, do, we'll all do this while we're on, on sabbatical, right? While, while you're all on sabbatical, <laughs> definitely. Now, I can say someone who is not uh, on, uh, on, on sabbatical because uh, we certainly know that uh, it's, been, uh, it's been rather uh, busy on one side of the room and I should say we've got a variety of of, of certainly great uh, outlets uh, various uh, stall holders many many new um, and and many uh, established uh, as well uh, but one which has been uh, I think I th it really seems like it's doing a brisk trade I hope it was a, a brisk and busy day for you Peter uh, from uh, from round round rivers uh, and I think listeners might uh, recall from past markets uh, that you have a business which is uh, and I'll let you explain it but the headline is you you joined us from a world of swimwear uh, and swimwear that was of course created uh, from fishing bottles out of the Limat River spinning them crushing them turning them into fabric and suddenly they become something that you can wear back in the river again 
now we're into the world of, uh, of, of down jackets as well. Good morning. Yeah, good morning. Thank you, Tyler, for having me. Um, yeah, now our newest invention is that we have um, a down jacket, which is entirely made from Swiss waist, so it's called a Swiss waist jacket. And the nice thing is that it is actually um, a jacket that reduces the CO2 from the environment. Because usually um, river waste is getting burned uh, in Europe because either there are two options for river waste. Either it ends up in the oceans or it, getting, it is getting stuck in hydropower plants. And second is the case in Europe. So if you burn one kilogram of plastic, then it ends up in three kilograms of CO2. So that's actually the first jacket is, um, that is, uh, has a CO2 negative foot, footprint because it causes less CO2 um, it, during its production than it is caused um, by burning the plastics. Now, there was a lot of questions yesterday I saw because it, that's quite clear to everyone, the, the bit about, uh, of course, yeah, fishing uh, bottles out and they get spun and of course they're, they're turned into the fabric for the jackets but a lot of people are very concerned about the down part thinking as one person said we, they haven't seen a lot of swans uh, lately um, on the lake in Zurich and is it, is it the swans that have uh, ended up in the jackets uh, but tell us about the, the down process where is the down coming from? Yeah, it's not from swans, so we leave them alive on the lake. Um, no, we source it fr uh, also in Switzerland, so it's recycled Swiss down, um, and we um, buy them from old clothing collectors, and um, we buy them by kilograms, and then they are getting cut off, they are taken out, they are washed, sterilized, and then they are filtered by quality, and we use only the best quality. Um, and so it's 100% uh, Swiss down, and um, usually... Um, down jackets, they are often mixed with feathers, and in this case, um, it's not. It's 100% down. That's why it is super puffy and um, super warm, and um, it feels very good. <laughs> so is it only from, let's say, former vests and ski jackets, or is this also coming from, from duvets and, and other sources uh, as well? Where is it to drive from? Every kind of that you can find in old clothing um, bags, let's say. So there are jackets, um, pillows, um, and also duvets, but yeah, they are, they are washed and sterilized, so there's nothing, nothing in it. Georgie, that kind of brings to mind, it's like the story that that down could tell. I mean, I'm thinking, you know, if, if you've been sort of, if you've been a duvet in a hotel in Tessin, you know, or, or up in the Engadine for some time, especially in a hotel, I mean, the tales, I mean, I'm feeling also there's a book coming on there. Maybe. I think there absolutely should be a book. I think that you should follow a, a little bit of down for its whole life and just tell us exactly where it's been and then where it ends up so perhaps it could be a bit of a Cinderella story you know uh, and it ends up somewhere that's just much more elevated than it began yeah that sounds pretty good I think uh, we should do that yeah <laughs> we should work together we could actually work together with um, hotels for example and then have really the origin so that could be very interesting I and agree. then we could record them and Monica could put them out as bedtime stories <laughs> yeah I like I like I, I very much like the idea of a bedtime story around that so Peter just just, just tell me so obviously uh, of course, people can uh, are, are mostly finding you and certainly like this, this new collaboration uh, with the jackets. It is direct. Uh, are they finding you uh, purely uh, online? Obviously, events like this one uh, as well. Or is there also a Round Rivers uh, retail outlet uh, also in, in, uh, in the works? Um, there is a little thinking about it, but it takes a couple of while, I would say. So for now, it's only online um, and on 
super nice markets like here um, on the Monaco Christmas market, which we um, joined for a the fifth time I think so thank you very much <laughs> and yeah there, there are big plans for the future and hopefully we have a store soon maybe not uh, in Zurich but somewhere else where we source more river plastic and finally just just before we go Peter um, tell us uh, obviously swimwear down jackets uh, but uh, have you announced what comes uh, what comes next uh, what can you be doing yeah there are, there are many ideas so for now what we are working on is um, is a one-size swimwear fabric because um, you know the working only online um, in swimwear is very difficult so you have a high return rate and we would like to avoid that in um, inventing a one-size swimwear fabric so that is so stretchable that it fits everybody so from extra small to extra large um, that is one goal that we are trying out now and um, of course I told you already Tyler um, that we are um, focusing on different markets, um, for example, the Parisian River, the Seine. So there's way, way more plastic in it, and um, we could have a greater impact if we make use of these plastics. Okay, let's just oh, go ahead, Georgina. I just wondered if it, then it's always country specific. So if, if you're fishing bottles out of the Seine, and that, that you sell that in France, and here it's it's just Swiss. Do you do it by? by location in that way? Um, it's not easy, honestly speaking, to find all the infrastructure um, locally. So, But Paris um, is not far away in comparison to the, yeah, let's say fashion market, to the root of the fashion market that is usually uh, taken. So it's still very local, although if we go to Paris and bring it to over here um, to make the yarn. But then, of course, I think it would be nice if we uh, produce the garments then in France, because um, I think it's relevant to, to make the last step, at least, that we can do somewhere else, that we then do it in the country where we source the river plastics. And when you do it in the Thames? Yeah, of course, we should go <laughs> go somewhere else with our production. Of course, that would be nice, yeah. And just before we go, we need to do some quick market research. Uh, Urs, I'm not sure when you're down in Stromboli what uh, what your swimwear is like. Uh, is, is it clingy that you want one size fit all, fits all? <laughs> or do you want something a bit more modest and uh, and baggy? Maybe a little bit more modest, yeah, I guess. <laughs> Florian, you? I struggle to imagine this. Like, I want to see this, honestly. Like, how is the one size from excess to extra large going to work? Sorry, it's, only, it's for women only, sorry. Oh, oh okay. No, no, it's relevant, yeah, okay. okay. <laughs> no, I was, I was trying to picture all of this as well. Georgina, I don't know where your mind went with this, but... <laughs> I, I was trying, yeah, I was slightly bemused by that because, uh, yeah. But actually, I'm in the market for, for a recycled burkini, perhaps. I like to be as covered up as possible. <laughs> Well, this, this this could be a possibility. Uh, Peter Horning, uh, thank you very, very much uh, for that. I know you've got a, a stand uh, to, to get back to uh, as well. So thank you very much for that. Thank you very much, Tyler. Uh, Georgina, across the day, uh, we're almost at the end of the program. Uh, you're going to be here and we're going to be chatting to a variety of other stallholders, I imagine, and, and much more. Absolutely. I cannot wait. There are so many stallholders that I haven't actually spoken to yet. Uh, there were so many interesting ones yesterday. We have to position the cocktail maybe later in the day, right? I mean, we can only do a cocktail, <laughs> what, probably after three o'clock? I maybe? think so. Do you think that's the cocktail cutoff time? Yeah, yeah. could be. Could yeah. be. Uh, we're going to have to leave it uh, there, everyone. Uh, Florian Egli, uh, Urs Buller, also Georgina Godwin, who I said is going to be here uh, throughout the 
the day. And also, we were just chatting to Peter Horning there. Uh, also, our thanks to Fiona Wilson, also Nina Muller had to uh, get back to her department store. Our producers today, uh, Desiree Bentley and also Laura Kramer. And our studio manager uh, back in London has been Callum McLean. I'm uh, Tyler Brule. I believe uh, we're going to be back uh, next week, uh, maybe with uh, a little bit of market time uh, in London. Uh, so we'll be uh, looking forward to a very, very special edition of Monocle on Sunday uh, from London at our Christmas market next week. Till then, have a very good week. Goodbye. <laughs>